You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. We're over the summer looking at, um, I shared last week about this heart attributes and uh, almost every single year for the last few years we've gone through a five-week series of looking at what are the core values of our church, the heart attributes of the church, things that are really important to us. As I shared last week, there's one of the core values or heart attributes that we felt we really need to, to uh, enhance. And it's the, the heart attribute of seeing God's kingdom advance, the, the enlargement of the kingdom in, in this, this world. And uh, as we met as a leadership team, as the oversight team, we, we looked at what are the different things that we need to be doing from strategy to the culture in our church because... When we look to even the past year, we don't necessarily see a flood of people coming to faith through the church or in the church. And we think, actually, coming this coming year, we want to see something shift in the church, that we would be growing with people that are coming to faith. Yeah? Not just growing with people coming from other churches, as nice as that is. Uh, we want to see people coming to faith, people that come to the reality of who Jesus is, and that as a church, we're not existing to attract other churches or sorry, other uh, believers, but we're we're a church that's working to to see His kingdom come in in the lives of people who desperately need it. And so last week we we looked at these kind of the the, the beginning of these three cultural words that uh, I believe as a church, if we if we develop it as a part of our culture, it will enable us to fulfill the Great Commission. And there is many other things that need to be part of it. But culture is, is kind of like what you feel when you're with us. If, you know, when you go to someone's house and uh, you, you spend time with them, you get a, a feeling of what their culture is based upon what they do. Is that correct? You can go to someone's home for dinner and uh, what they do and how they do it, you get a sense of the culture that they represent. And if you go to a different place in the world and you have a meal with a uh, a family from that part of the world, you get a flavor of that culture because they just do things naturally because that's their culture. Do you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have had this experience of going to another cultural environment and having a meal and just, and sometimes not even knowing what's going on? We've had these moments um, over the years of being placed and I have no idea what they're doing right now, but we just go along with the flow and I hope you know, this food is all edible and all that stuff. You know, you don't know what you're eating. Um, but it's part of the culture and it's an exciting experience. Well, the word, one of the words we looked at last week is generosity. And uh, having a culture in the church of generosity is something that kind of goes counter our old nature. To be generous and to, to give of ourselves is something that for many of us, we can struggle with looking out, uh, being generous beyond our immediate circle. We can be generous with our kids. We can be generous with our family. We can be generous even maybe with the church family. But generosity goes beyond just that. Uh, we looked at the fact that God is generous towards us, right? That He loved us. That He lavishes His love upon us. That He is, He is more than, He gives more than enough of His Spirit for us to fulfill our life. He, if we, we lack knowledge, we can ask and He gives it generously. We see the word over and over generous being talked about who God is and His character. So equally as a church, we have to have this 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 character of generosity. And uh, generosity is something that is not just finances, but it's being generous in our mercy. Right? We looked at that passage of Scripture. If someone slaps you on, strikes you on one side of the cheek to turn your cheek, 
justice would say, I'm going to strike you back. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's law. But Jesus said, I, I, I want to call you to a place of being generous with mercy. That mercy would triumph over judgment. And that as a church, when we look at the world around us, we're generous with our mercy and slow or, or, or reluctant with our judgment. That we be a church of mercy. Come on. We want to be a place of mercy. But also, it is the resources. But then what else we look at? Being uh, a church that's generous with our time and effort. Not just doing what's expected, but actually when it comes to our interaction with people outside the church, that there's a generous nature to us of, of the effort we put in. When someone asks you to walk a mile, you walk with them too. Again, Jesus says, don't just do what's enough, what's required of you, but go beyond what is the expected requirement. That's generous. Time is valuable. And for me to give you more of my time speaks of value that I place in that person's life. Okay, so because God is generous in character, we're called to be generous. Now today, we're going to look at a second cultural word or a, a word of culture that is a loaded word. And you'll know what I mean when I say it. It's the word accepting. Accepting. Even actually when we talked about it as a leadership team, we 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 wrestled with this word accepting with what it means what does it imply if we say we're an accepting church it's easier to say we are a welcoming church because welcoming yes everyone's welcome but to be accepting is a challenging word and so i hope this morning to define what we mean by accepting now to start with just like we did last week god is a generous god but actually god is an accepting god of you and me. When we look at some scriptures, and we don't have to look very far in the New Testament, but there's many passages in scripture that speak of Christ, God's acceptance of us. So Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. So when Christ died, he paid this price, not because we deserved it. Okay? His acceptance of us, of who we are, and His his appeal to us is not because we were deserving of it. In fact, while we were still enemies of Christ, He died for us. This is this ultimate sign of acceptance that He wants you. Right? We see this also in John 15. You did not choose me. This is Jesus saying, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And the passage goes on from there. Jesus demonstrated this, this acceptance towards us, this interaction with us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But also he says, I choose you. Now, when I think of this passage, I always remember playing sports in school and that dreaded time when they're picking teams and you're the last man standing, not chosen. How many have a faintest recollection of that kind of a memory? It's a painful memory to be chosen, not first, not second, not third, not fourth, not even. But then to be the captains arguing who didn't want you. <laughs> oh, but he doesn't play. I don't want you. I mean, oh, okay, I'll take Tyler. <laughs> Do any of you have those painful memories? No. Donna doesn't. She was the all-star sports student. Yeah, I had this memory. The fact is, and why it hurts is that we want to be accepted. 
by your class. You want to be accepted. You want to be part of the team. You don't want to be the one that nobody wants on their team. And Jesus says, actually, do you know what? You didn't choose me. The fact that we're here today isn't because we, ch- we chose Jesus. I chose one day to follow Jesus. Actually, Jesus chose you before you were even created in this world. He chose you and he called you and his spirit was relentless in calling you into this place of relationship. He chose you and you responded to the decision that Christ already made for you. The decision to, to go after you was his and his alone. And we are simply responding. I choose to respond to his first decision to, to, to accept me. He accepts me. Now, his acceptance of me was not in a state where I am perfect. His acceptance of me as a person was while I was a sinner. And this is fundamental for us to get as a church. Because when Christ was on the earth, he was criticized for who he hung company, who he, he was with, right? He was criticized for being a friend of the tax collectors and sinners. Matthew 11, 18 and 19 speak of this. He was criticized for this. He hung out with the low lives of society at the time. All the religious leaders were, they, they couldn't understand if this was a rabbi, if this was a teacher of the law, how on earth could he spend so much time with people that were unclean? Now, although we have stories of individuals coming to faith through that process, I, I firmly believe because of the human condition, not everyone who came and Jesus hung out with put their faith necessarily into Jesus. Now the scripture, you could argue with me on that point. But we do see that all of Jerusalem was willing to stone Jesus. We see that this these people actually, he, he hung out with them. He, he loved them. And there are people in that crowd that he, he redeemed and he saved. But there would have been others because of free will that would have still chosen to live their life of sin. How do you know? Because it's true. You and I, Jesus didn't take over people's decision. He loved them. He accepted them. And those that realize this love, this hunger, they turn to this place of repentance. Now, Jesus responds to the criticism. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have not called the, come to call the righteous. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Now, you and I are representatives. Representatives. We're his ambassadors. We are representing his heart in this world. Now, if he is saying, I did not come to, uh, I didn't come for the healthy, but I come, for, I came for the sick. I, I, I'm looking for mercy and not sacrifice. Now, what did he mean by mercy, not sacrifice? Now, sacrifice had everything to do with the law, right? Had everything to do with ticking the boxes and making sure everyone was right. And if you sinned, you, you sacrificed. And if you did this, you sacrificed. And you're sacrificing all the time to, to make right what you wasn't right in your life. And Jesus is saying, actually, I came for mercy. This great display of mercy to the people who don't deserve it. I'm not looking to display mercy to the people who are self-righteous, who think they've got it all together because of the sacrifices they're doing. I'm actually here to triumph mercy to the people who think they're not worth it, who think they're, they're beyond hope. Actually, that's who Jesus came to seek and to save. He came to seek and to save the very people that the religious leaders want nothing to do with. 
They missed the plot. Jesus' acceptance of sinners was displayed by his love and compassion for who they were. There's love and compassion for who they were. Now, in order for us to understand this, I think we need to unpackage it in three different ways. When God accepts us, he does one of these three things. Or he does all these three things. One is he, he sees past the exterior. Now, for you and for me, I think when we see someone on the street, it's very difficult for us to see past what we see on the surface. We look at someone, even in this room, and we can prejudge based upon how they look, how they're dressed, what their hair is like, all those things. We can judge who they are based upon what we see. But when God sees us, He doesn't see the external alone. He sees who He created us to be. The real us. Underneath the facade, underneath the exterior, underneath all the hurt and the pain and the difficulties and the reason we live life as we do, He sees past all of that and He sees the heart. He sees the person. One of the things I, when we did the, the night shelter in Brighton and, and you hear the stories of these guys who were, who rode on the street and women on the street and, and it's so easy to kind of just look at them and just see where they're at until you hear the story from where they come from. And you hear of the broken homes and you hear of, you know, living life in some very difficult situations. And then the question comes, if I had to live that life, would I be on that street as well? It's very easy if I've grown up in a healthy home environment and grew up going to church and all that, to, to look at someone with disdain and think they should have known better. They should just get their life sorted out. They should just get a job. They should just do this, just to do that. But we're not seeing necessarily the heart of the person behind all of that. You see, Christ sees who we are beyond the exterior uh, behavior. We are quick to look at the exterior, but actually the exterior is not our true identity. Anyone who gets older realizes that your identity, if your identity was locked up in your exterior looks, your identity keeps shifting year on year. In fact, you may even think of yourself, if you're an older person, you look in the mirror and you wonder what just happened. Right? Where did that gray come from? Put it back. How did it get there so quickly? Where did it go? Where's the hair? Because our identity is shifting as we get older. We look at ourselves as a kid and we're, we, we, we see ourselves as young and invincible. But as we get older, our identity on the exterior is shifting. But who we are on the inside actually shifts very little. How many found that to be true? Well, who we are on the inside, it actually, our, the real me, is the real me. And the body might change. I might get bigger. I might get smaller. I might get gray hair. My hair might follow completely. But the real me is the same. And that is the identity that when God looks at us and He accepts us and He calls us, He's calling forth the real me to come forth out of the tomb, to come forth out of my, my environment. You see, we've all fallen short of God's standards. All of us. Every one of us. And sometimes I think we, we can, we equally can look at the exterior and we can, we can judge sins by, based upon what we, we think are really bad sins or what behavior people are doing that are really bad versus good. And actually God sees past all of that and He just sees the heart of the person. We are saved because God accepts us and calls us. We are accepted by God. I want us just to, to understand that this morning. You and I are accepted by God. And it's not because of what you have done. Zero. 
The Bible says our good works are like filthy rags to the God. So if you think you're doing great stuff and so God accepts you more, you are living a lie. He accepts you because of you and because of what he's done for you. But it has nothing to do with your performance. Zero. Zeho. For the French speaking people. Zeho. Is that right? Zeho. I'm bilingual. I grew up in Canada, so I can speak two languages. At any moment, I'll just switch into French and you'll be amazed. <laughs> so will I. So will I. I always hoped that my tongues could just be another language that could just come in handy when you're traveling, that just speaking tongues and boom, you're, you're fluent. Anyways, God sees past the exterior. He also, his acceptance of us demonstrates value. Value. To be accepted is without conditions and it's not performance-based as I just mentioned. So if acceptance is based upon performance, then our acceptance, and this is what James speaks very strongly about, if someone comes to church who looks like they're wealthy and you give them preferential treatment, how dare you? And someone poor comes in and you judge that person. You say, actually, you know, we, we don't accept you as much, but we're, we'll give you a lowly position or a lowly seat in the church. But the rich person comes and sits and you, you elevate that person. Do you know, we place value upon those two people. And James speaks very strongly to the church. We cannot do that. Every person, every human being is of the same value in God's eyes. Every person. The person on the street, the person from another country, the person with a, a different uh, thought of their identity, the person who's struggling with all sorts of issues, the pedophile, the, 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 the rapist, the, the person in, in death row sentence, they all have the same value in God's eyes. He died for every single one. He places the highest value upon each one. And for us, our challenge is to look at each person who comes across the doors of the church over the people we have contact with in our daily life and to place the same value as a human that God has created in His image and that God has died for, for their redemption. That's the value. You see, acceptance speaks of value. While we were still sinners, Christ died for me. He chooses us. It's not because of the good things we've done, but because of the good things He's done. He accepts us. He draws us in. And as a church, we're called to do the same to the world around us. To accept. Now the problem is, and I think the challenge we have, is that we, we, we look at the exterior and think, if I accept that person, am I agreeing with their lifestyle? This is the big question of this word accepting. If I accept you, do I agree with your lifestyle? Because it's easier to judge the lifestyle and treat you maybe as not quite as an equal because of what you're doing. But the two are not connected. When we accept someone for who they are, we're not saying we agree with everything they do, but we're saying we love you. We have a God has a plan for you and we accept you as God's creation. Because you and I are not the way we should be either, are we? Come on. We are a work in progress. I am being changed to be more and more like the image of Christ, but I still have a bit of an image of me left in me. And so I'm, a, I'm still in process. And so actually our acceptance of people isn't necessarily saying we, we agree with everything that you do. Absolutely not. But we are saying we accept you as a person in God's creation. You're special. You're, you're wonderfully and fearfully made. 
No matter the age, no matter the gender, no matter the social standing, no matter the race, no matter the part of the world, no matter the color of the skin, it doesn't matter, does it? All of that is immaterial because Christ died for each and every one of us. We're all one in Christ. We're all on the same playing field. God has called each one of us. God is looking for us to be merciful. I desire mercy over simply keeping the law of sacrifice. Lastly, and this is the big one. His acceptance of us empowers change. You see, a lot of people don't come to church because they don't want to feel worse about themselves. Or they feel like they need to sort their life out first before they come to church. Because if they come as they are, you know, the church is too holy for them. Now, this is a huge misconception. You see, we can only be changed once Christ becomes Savior of our lives. And He accepts us and calls us. And the transformation comes on the other side of the acceptance of grace. And so if we're expecting people to come into the church, but look and act a certain way to fit into our norm, we've missed the plot as well. Our calling as a church is to embrace the outcast, to embrace the person who everyone else would think that's a bit of an untouchable. That's a hot topic. We shouldn't engage there. Actually, we're called to love them. But after they come to Christ, that is where the transformation can come. And that is only where the transformation can come. Zacchaeus is a great example of this. Jesus stepped into Zacchaeus's world. And he came up to the tree where Zacchaeus was, was hanging from or sitting in the branches of, maybe better put. And he said, hey, Zacchaeus, yo, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus, as the crowd, shocked that Zacchaeus, this notorious mafia guy, Come on, you wouldn't have liked Zacchaeus coming up to your house with his henchmen wanting the taxes to be paid. And Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. Your house. Of all these people, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you. I'm choosing your house. Now Zacchaeus comes out off the tree. And he's only up there to see Jesus. First hand, want to see what he looks like. Comes down, and at this moment... We see this transformation take place. But the transformation comes on the other side of the acceptance, not the other way around. You see, we often misunderstand grace. We think that Zacchaeus maybe needed to sell all he had or, or give the things back and get his life story and, and come to Christ. But actually come, happens completely the other way around. Jesus accepts him. says, I'm not only going to uh, acknowledge you, I'm coming to stay with you. I'm gonna, I am going to be associated with you. My credibility is going to be on the line because I'm choosing to hang out with you. The people that everyone else in this space right now revile, uh, reviles? Reviles. Everyone else can't stand this guy, but I'm choosing to associate with you. You see, we don't like what other people might think of us if we associate with certain people because of our own status. But as a church, what would happen if we were criticized in the community by being friends of tax collectors and sinners? What does that mean? If we were friends of the people that actually would be very unlikely for a church to be friends of. 
Now, I don't, I don't want to name any bit of the community that that could be true of, but what would happen if we got shifted from being the church for the nice people of the world to being the church that only engages really with the people that no one else in society wants to be part of? That we value, that we encourage, that we come alongside. You see, transformation happens once acceptance is received. We are loved. We are accepted. And we respond by receiving this gospel of peace. And in response to that, we have now the power to change. You see, sometimes there's this expectation for people to just get their lives sorted and they do not have the power to change. It is only through Jesus the power to change is there. But we mustn't create the roadblocks along the way. It's easier often to come to Christ than it is to come to church. And that mustn't be so. Coming to church should be the most most wonderful experience for someone who doesn't know the Lord because of what they experience in our culture. I remember in the years of Brighton, we had a lot of people coming through the doors of the church that required this lesson to be learned in me. It was difficult when people came in and their aroma filled the room. And it would be very easy to just kind of not want to sit beside them because they smelled or how they looked or maybe a bit intoxicated or all sorts of stuff going on in their lives. I remember having often as a family this conversation of, of how do we deal, how do we handle this, how, we, how do we engage? And one of the words that we used in Church on the Rock uh, back in the day when we started it, we wanted to be an accepting church. That every person that came into the church would feel that we accept them. Not necessarily am I saying we accept all that they do as right, but we accept them as who they are and they know that we choose them. That we want them to our house. We want to invite them. We, we want to take them out for coffee. We want to get to know them. We, we want to be with them. It's a challenge. When people are accepted, it empowers them to start the journey of transformation through the power of His Spirit. I believe that accepting is a door opener. Accepting is a door opener. Welcoming maybe starts to open the door, but accepting keeps them in. Knowing that actually, this group of people really love me. People can see past a smoke screen or facade. They want to know that we care for them for who they really are. Warts and all. Issues and all. Man, we're here for you. We care for you. We show you the same love and grace we show everyone. Because everyone's of the same value. Paul said, I, I no longer judge everyone by the way of the old system, but actually we're new creations in Christ. And in that passage, he's speaking about this change of thought that when we start looking at people, we need to start seeing them through Christ's eyes. Moved by, moved by the Spirit to see what God sees. To be instruments of His mercy and grace to people who desperately need to experience it. I think for all of us, we've got people in our lives 
that they need to know that you accept them. Just as they are. Not with condition. And this is where it gets tricky. Yeah, but they do this. Doesn't matter. You accept them for who they are. Who God created. Do they know that you accept them? Not judge them, but accept them. It's a difficult message. But it's one, I think, that if we master, as Christ demonstrated for us, it becomes so attractive to the world around us. You hear stories of guys that join gangs, people who have been in foster care and they they join the drug culture or they join all sorts of groups. And why do they do that? Often over and over their stories because they felt like they were accepted in that group. They could be who they really were. And although that was a toxic environment and led them down the wrong path, they wanted to be accepted. Why? Because in human, our human nature, every single one of us in this room wants to be accepted. Correct? We want to be accepted. And we are in Christ. But we must then display it to those around us. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church, passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.